We're in Revelation chapter number eight and chapter number nine today, so you got to listen fast. Uh, Revelation chapter number eight and chapter number nine. Father, thank you for this moment. God, help us see what you see. Lord, I pray that our hearts be soft and that we have ears to hear your voice. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation 8 and 9. Destruction, demons, and the degenerate. Destruction, demons, and the degenerate. Several years ago, I had the chance to... uh, play ball at Florida State when I was there they sent me to uh, Wichita Kansas one summer to play in a summertime World Series and uh, and so I was young and uh, didn't have a clue where I was going Uh, I was just told to uh, get on an airplane they gave me a ticket to fly to Wichita and I was told that someone would greet me at the airport and so that's how it went down I got on an airplane I went to Wichita got off the air airplane in Wichita and was greeted by a fellow that gave me a uniform I put the uniform on in the bathroom of the airport and went to a field and played a game and uh, after the game was over that night uh, everyone was leaving and I was like hey coach where am I supposed to go (laughs) I don't have anywhere to go and uh, he said oh yeah oh yeah there's a family that's waiting on you there's a family that's waiting on you so they gave me a ride to a house and when I got to the house it was late at night and, uh, and, and there was a card on the door saying, welcome, uh, make yourself at home, your bedroom's on the right, there's food in the fridge. And, uh, and that was it. Uh, the house was already asleep, and so I went in. Well, the next morning, <clears throat> the next morning, I was woken up with uh, sirens, tornado sirens in Wichita, Kansas, uh, uh, woke me up out of bed. And when I got up and I heard these sirens, uh, I started running around that house and I found that there wasn't anybody else there. They were gone. And, uh, and, I, and I was like, oh my gosh, what in the world? My, my mind immediately went to Dorothy. And uh, I was like, this house is about to start spinning and, and, and floating out of here. And so, and so what did I, I, I ran outside, I ran outside and I just got silent because I thought, man, there's something coming. And, and in fact, I might, I might end up dying today. I don't know. I mean, I was, I was worried. And it seemed like an eternity, but probably 30 seconds went by, and the phone rang, and it was the owner of the house saying, oh, they're just checking the alarms. Don't worry about it. And uh, I was so relieved in that moment. But for a moment, there was silence. And why was there silence? Because I didn't know what was coming. I knew something bad might be fixing to happen. And, uh, and that's what's happening in our text today. The Bible begins in Revelation chapter number 8 with a silence of about 30 minutes. And so where are we in the text? What is happening 
uh, that gets us to the point where we find ourselves this morning in the text, Revelation chapter 8 and chapter number 9. And so what's taking place is we've been reading through, and and we'll catch you up to speed, we've been reading through this book of Revelation, and and the tribulation has taken place, or the tribulation has taken place. What's happened is the church has been raptured. There is something that Scripture teaches, and that is this, that the church, one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to call His church home to Himself. And so that's taken place in this book already. The rapture, the rapture, not the return of Christ, but the rapture of His church has taken place. And the ensuing chaos, can you imagine if all of the Christians around the planet disappeared in a moment? The ensuing chaos that takes place. And so we are immediately ushered into the presence of heaven during, in that moment. And in that moment, there's worship happening in the presence of the throne of God. There's worship because, man, He is holy, because He's the creator of everything. And there's none like our God. There's none like Jesus Christ. And not only is He holy, but He's the one who is worthy because He shed His blood on the cross for you and for me, thereby purchasing, purchasing, redeeming what was lost by mankind. And so the question was asked, who is worthy to open the scroll? The scroll being the title deed to the world and everything therein. And Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, was the only one worthy to open the scroll. And so he begins to open the scroll, the title deed to the earth, and one seal at a time he begins to open. And we see the judgment of God falling back on this planet. And so that's the tribulation period that we're talking about. It is a seven-year period of time, and that's exactly where we are in Scripture. He's been opening the seals, and as he opens the seals uh, 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 to this title deed, all of a sudden we see, for example, the first seal gets opened, and we see an ascent of the one who says, hey, I'll bring peace to the world. And he, and, and he assumes a throne, a position on the planet, without even striking anyone. But then we find that there's a lot of death. There's a lot of dying. There's famine that's taking place. There's martyrs. Uh, The scripture talks about really uh, worldwide, worldwide chaos and worldwide catastrophes taking place. And it's in that moment after the sixth seal has been opened that all of a sudden there's a question that's asked by the inhabitants and the inhabitants are asking the question, who is able to stand in this day of judgment? And then we have this interlude that takes place in chapter Number seven. Now the interlude is now over, and there's the opening of the seventh seal. With each seal, we see the judgment of God falling on the planet. Today, we are on the seventh seal. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter number eight, beginning in verse number one When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Can you imagine? They've been watching as the seals have been opened, and they're thinking, man, what's to come? And there's silence. And the Bible says in verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel, another of the same, angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And it goes on from there. 
When you read through the book of Revelation, you will find the judgments of God wrapped up in a series of sevens. The first sevens are the seven seals that we've talked about. And then we have seven trumpets that begin. And that's where we are today. Seven trumpets begin to blow. And after the seven trumpets, there will be seven bowls. But here we have this little interlude before the trumpets begin to blow. And we see silence taking place. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in Zephaniah chapter number one, and in verse number seven, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has consecrated his guests. He set them apart. The church, we're not here. And all of a sudden we see this picture of the prayers being answered. The altar points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. And the smoke are the prayers of his people. And we go back to Revelation chapter number 6 and he's already talked about the prayers of the martyrs who have been crying out to Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6 verse number 10. The Bible says it like this. And they cried out. These are martyrs crying out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So the prayers of the saints are being brought before the one who's seated on the throne. And God answers the prayers, not only of martyrs, but even of those of us today. Hey, let me ask you this question this morning. How many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I believe that this is an answer, God's answer, not only to the prayers of the martyrs, but to the prayers of the saints for all time, being brought up into his presence, and he's answering. It's a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of God Almighty when the prayers of his people are mixed with the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're a sweet-smelling aroma into the nostrils of God. And God, it's as if God Almighty is on the throne, and now he's answering and saying, hey, it's time to answer. It's time. It's time to avenge. It's time to come. And we see, again, sights, and sounds associated with the majesty of God coming to this planet. And with that, we hear the trumpets begin to blow. And so we have destruction that begins in verse number six with the trumpets. And, 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 and before we go further, let me just say this is speaking of a literal event which will come when we do not know that answer. We do not know that answer. We know that the rapture could happen at any moment. The rapture could happen today, ushering in the tribulation period. This is the midst of the tribulation period. <clears throat> we see an intensification again of the seals when we have the sounds of the trumpet. It's interesting when you read through here in the first four Trumpets that are blasted have an ecological impact, e ecological destruction. In other words, it's the planet. And the Bible says in verse number six, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. 
It's desolate imagery that he's painting for us. Imagine the impact when the fruit trees are destroyed, many. The vegetation is destroyed. The meat and milk industry. The whole food chain. We have to be careful when we're reading through the book of Revelation. And let me just throw this out there. I'm one that interprets scripture in an expository fashion. And I believe that the book of Revelation was written literally. Although there are some symbolic meanings. Be careful that you don't simply lean on symbolic interpretation. And thereby limit, thereby limit what we're reading. I believe one third. One third means one third. I believe it's one third of the entire planet of all the green grass. I believe that if you go out there in that day, in this city of Tallahassee, one out of every three trees will be demolished. I don't think you'll see any green grass anywhere that you look. And I believe that the planet will be burned, scorched, desert land. He says the land's going to be devastated. And then he goes into verse number eight and nine, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life they died and a third of the ships were destroyed systematic God is sovereign in control over all things we do not know and this is where you have to be careful I don't know what he's talking about what hit the sea maybe an asteroid Maybe, maybe a meteor, maybe. Maybe God took the tops of mountains and with volcanic eruptions threw them into the air and they landed into the ocean. I don't know. All I know is that there were things like mountains that John saw and John described and they hit the oceans and when they hit the oceans, one third of the ocean turned to blood and one third of the ocean, every animal, every living creature in the ocean died and one third of the ships at sea were destroyed, utterly destroyed. In a moment, in a moment, think of the impact that that has on international trading on our planet when some 20 to 30,000 ships, all of a sudden they're destroyed. He's saying, man, it's devastation that's hitting our planet. And he first talks salt water, and then he goes from the salt water to the fresh water in verse number 10 and 11. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And so we have the fresh water, the star. The star could be any celestial body. I don't believe we're talking about a literal star here. We're talking about something that fell from the heaven that was flaming. We don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I think it's possible. That's possible that, that could be a nuclear warheads. All I know, all I know is what he's saying. And what he's saying is, listen, there was something that hit the waters, the fresh waters, and one-third of the fresh waters are bitter. Where when you drink, many get sick and many die. And he's just saying, hey, there's a day coming, and it's a bad day. And in the heavens, he says this about the heavens in verse number 12 and following. He says, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened in the day 
would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. When you're talking about these heavens being struck, I believe that it's going to set off what we would call as geostorms. And I think that you're going to have unpredictable tides and unpredictable seasons like never on the face of the planet. Further destroying the food chains. Ezekiel 32. In Ezekiel 32, the Bible says it like this. Ezekiel 32, verses number 7 and 8. And when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you and will set darkness in your land, declares the Lord. I think that it's going to be a day of darkness like we've never seen on the planet. You know, John chapter number 3 In verse number 19 and 20, the Bible says this. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light. For the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It's almost as if God is saying to those who have rejected the light. This is what you asked for. I am the bread of life, but you don't want my bread. I am the light of the world, but you don't want my light. And God's judgment falls on the planet. And this is only the beginnings. In fact, the Bible says over in verse number 13, if we continue to read, then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels that are about to sound. He says, It's been bad, but it's getting worse. And so he says, There's ecological disasters, but then we go from the destruction to the demons. And the Bible begins in verse number nine to describe two different armies. In fact, the first army will be inflicting pain like never been inflicted before on mankind. The Bible says this beginning in verse number one. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing or any tree, but only only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you remember, as we read, there was 144,000 that got the seal of God so that they could carry out his purpose of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, don't mess with those. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it, and they will long to die, and death flees from them. 
The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and their tails and their power to hurt men for five months. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. And it goes on from there. They're here to inflict pain. When we read this passage of Scripture, oftentimes we say, man, that's just a bunch of locusts, which I would say, no, I believe that he's describing what he sees as locusts, but it's a demonic army that comes from the abyss. What does all that mean? Well, the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter number 9 that a star fell from heaven. I believe that he's talking here possibly, possibly uh, about the devil himself, Lucifer, meaning the shining one. And we're not talking about the original fall from heaven, but we're talking about whether it be Lucifer or another demon, I know not. But all I know is that he comes and God Almighty has given them a key to the abyss. Why? Because God is in control of all things. He is sovereign. He has no equal. We're talking about created beings. We live in a world where there are many people that try to say, man, there is a God and there's a devil and they're just equal opposites, which is absolutely not true. God is self-existent. He always has been, always will be. There is none like our God. The devil is a created being under the sovereign control of a holy God. And so we have God who is in control and God gives the key to the abyss. And he goes down to the abyss, this bottomless pit. What is this bottomless pit that we're talking about? It's the abode of the incarcerated demons, the abode of incarcerated demons. And we read about an abode of incarcerated demons. We, we, we can go back and read through Scripture, and I'm not trying to guess who they are and, and, and what their names may be. I'm not here to suggest any of those things. All I know is that there is an abode of incarcerated demons that holds some of the most vile and wicked demons ever created. In fact, so bad, so bad that in the New Testament, there's a story. Do you remember the story where Jesus Christ delivers a man that's demon-possessed and the demons come out and the demons come out and he puts them into a bunch of swine and the swine jump off over into the sea? But when Jesus was dealing with the demons, they said, oh, don't send us to the abode because it's wicked and vile place. Not even demons would want to go there. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 18 and following, 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 18 and following, the Bible says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, uh, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So we have incarcerated demons that come. But even in the midst of it, we see the sovereignty of God, and he puts limits on these demons. Verses number 4 and 5, he says, Hey, I'm going to limit your destination. In other words, man, you can't touch. Do not touch. 
my people. Because he has 144,000 set apart for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And even the extent of their destruction, he says, hey, you can't kill anybody. You can't kill anybody. And it's only going to be for about five months, the duration. And so God Almighty puts limits. In fact, in the midst of it, he says this. The people will be inflicted with stings like scorpions. And they will hurt so bad that they would say, man, I want to die. I want to die. And they will attempt suicide. But to no avail. Death escapes them. You can't take your life. And I don't believe we're talking about mere locusts. I believe it's a demonic army that's being described as locusts. Proverbs 30, verse number 27. Why would you say that? Proverbs chapter number 30, and in verse number 27, the Bible says <clears throat> this. The locusts have no king. Yet all of them go out in ranks. And you read this description, and in verse number 11, they have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon. Both of them simply mean destroyer. Destroyer. And so we have this demonic army that's described with the fifth trumpet. And in verse number 12, the Bible says, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And then the sixth angel, verse number 13, sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One sang to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Again, we see the sovereignty of God in verse 15. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm." I don't know what army this might be. And quite frankly, I don't think that's important. I believe that God is simply saying, hey, I want you to understand that there is a horrific day that's coming and there will be 200 million, 200 million in an army led by, led by some of the most powerful demons ever to exist 
And if you want to read about powerful demons, you can go back to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we read where Daniel is praying and God sends Michael. And Michael on the way has an encounter. And he's hindered. He's delayed. Why? Because he's struggling with a demon. I believe that what God is saying, and I believe that what this book is all about, is he's wanting us to understand, hey, listen, you know that God is a God of love because you can look at the cross. You know that God is a God of love. We celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. We celebrate Bethlehem. We celebrate his birth. We celebrate the cross. And we say, man, what a wonderful God we have. And and he's so loving and he's gracious and he is loving and he's gracious and he's merciful. But he's also just and he hates sin. And this gives us a glimpse. This gives us a glimpse of the disdain God has for the wickedness at which we wink today. And God's dealing. And the Bible says this army will come out. And many will die. A third of mankind will be killed by these plagues. So what we see happening, can you imagine what's happening on the planet at this time? Can you imagine the death, the putrid, the putrid smell of decaying corpses from the oceans, one-third of the oceans? And at this time, by the way, if you couple this with what we saw in Revelation chapter 6, one half of mankind is now dead. We're talking about several billion people dying. You would think, you would think that those who remain would cry out for mercy and throw themselves at the feet of God Almighty. But that's not what happens. In fact, there's degenerates that are described in the closing verses. The Bible says in verse number 20 and 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver, brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. You see what they were doing? They were crying out, looking for help, but to no avail because they were crying out to gods that couldn't answer, couldn't answer the call. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts, idol worship. I think of where we are today and how many don't repent because of idol worship. Oh, you, 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 may, you may be here this morning and you say, man, I don't, I don't have any poles set up at my house. I don't have any sticks that I bow down to. Well, maybe it's not a specific pole or a specific stick. Maybe it's simply personal pleasures. Who or what are you living for? To, to who do you bow the knee? <clears throat> Where do you look for life? What's the answer for you? There's many that have turned to idol worship. This is not only idol worship. They're still murdering people. 
Why? Because they're living in a lawless land where only the strong survive. I mean, there's famines happening. There's mass murders taking place. And there's continuing to murder. He says there's sorceries. The sorceries, the word for sorceries is the word from which we get our word pharmacy. And he's talking about drug activity. People are turning to drugs, mass numbers. And sexual perversion. You know, the description being given of this tribulation period. It ought to make us uncomfortable. It ought to strike a little fear in our heart. That being said, aren't you thankful, aren't you thankful today that the church will not be there on that day? I mean, we're going to be with heaven. We're going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And I'm grateful to God for that. I'm grateful to God for that. But here's where we've got to be careful. That we're not narcissistic when it comes to our theology. What do you mean by that? Whew, I'm okay. <laughs> what about your friends? And what about your family? That God entrusted his gospel to, to be shared with others. One of these days, there will be a trumpet sound and the church will go home and all will be well. All will be well for the church. But for those left, it won't be. It won't be. You know, when you read through the book of Revelation, and we're going to continue to walk there, a question that I've heard asked before is if God is coming to reclaim the earth, the planet, for himself, why would he delay even for the seven years? He tells us for the sake of the elect he delays, but he, why, why, would, why, would we, why would we not, why would he not just end it? Well, the Bible says in Ezekiel 33, Chapter number, verse number 11, Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We've got to be careful when we're walking through this book that we don't think for a moment that God just says, wow, it brings me great pleasure. He says, I, 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 as I live, declares the Lord God, I, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? The church will be okay. Those who have been saved, those who have been born again, are going to be better than ever, better than ever. But let me ask you a question today. Have you ever been born again? Ever been a time in your life? I believe Jesus Christ records these words for a lot of different reasons. I believe one of them would be just to let people understand, hey, the consequences of your decisions that you make. 
So you reject Christ, and here's a little glimpse. Have you ever been born again? You know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his Son into this world not to condemn the world, but to save us from our sin. Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last person, we have this problem, and it's a sin problem, and God is a holy God who hates sin. But he loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on a cross. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so he paid the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. And he desires a loving relationship with you, not religious activity, a relationship with you. To be born again, to be born from above, has to come a point in life when we say, man, I'm sinned against God. But God, I believe you love me. I believe you sent your son for me. And I'm going to cry out to him to be my Savior and my Lord. And if you've never gone there, I'm inviting you today. Call on his name. Call on his name. Even today, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you join me for a time of prayer this morning? <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness to us, and I thank you for your word, God. Even though we come to sections that are heavy and dark, God, we still know that you are good and loving and merciful. And Lord God, I pray that you would have your way in these moments. Father, I pray for those that have never been born again that even maybe today would be the day that they would cry out to you for salvation. God, we know that you are our only hope. And God, I'm so thankful that we have a living hope. Thank you for these moments today. Lord Jesus, I pray also as we leave this place, God, there are so many people that are perishing that you have put in our path. Oh, God, open our eyes. God, open our eyes. Father, I pray that you would renew within us a hunger and thirst for righteousness and, God, a hatred for sin. Oh, God, I pray that you'd remove the calluses that we have built in our life. Help us see what you see. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.